Welcome back to Digital Health 101. Today we're talking about telehealth. What is telehealth? What aspects of it are most important and critical to their success? And telehealth after COVID-19 has been a huge part of the growth of the entire digital health revolution. Now, who would I invite to speak to us today? None other than Jamie Edwards. For those of you who know him, you know he's a terrific speaker, very well thought of, and a tremendous asset to the entire space given his energy and enthusiasm for telemedicine. He specifically has an interest in language and how it can be involved in the space, specifically around remote video interpretation. So we'll hear a bit about telehealth and also the specific aspect of remote video interpretation on this podcast today in Digital Health 101. Hello, Jamie Edwards. I am so stoked you made time to be with us today, dude. It's going to be so much fun. So happy to be here. This is really exciting because when I think telehealth, when I think telemedicine, when I think audio, video, interpretation, all that, I just always think of you. You've done amazing work in this space. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got here, what what got you engaged enough to dedicate a big chunk of your life at this point to this space and a bit about your journey. Yeah. So a big chunk of my life and a a piece of my life that's the the chunk is getting larger, so to speak. And we can talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) But um, Jamie Edwards, CEO and co-founder of Cloudbreak Health. And Cloudbreak is a unified telemedicine company that really is focused focused on resolving healthcare disparities. And the first disparity that we solved was in and around limited English proficient deaf patients and help, help level the playing field, empowering them at the point of care to actually speak with their provider and empowering the provider to make a better diagnosis as a result of communication. And as a doctor, right, you know that communication is really the number one diagnostic tool that provider has in diagnosing a patient. It's not necessarily point of care testing or anything like that. It's you go over that patient chart and it's all really communication driven. What's your history of present illness? How are you feeling today? Where does it hurt? All of those different things are really what we're about. We're about building that trusted patient provider encounter. And we started off just doing this for language services, but we realized that there were other health disparities that we could solve. Health disparities are that look, people in the United States do not all receive equal access to health care. I see what we're doing. We're going back to the digital health 101 piece of this, right? Right, there you I'm, go. I'm, I'm cluing in. I'm cluing in. <laughs> but these disparities exist, and a lot of them are due to social determinants of health, where you live, you know, your access to care in a given market, what language you speak, what country you're from, all of those different types of things, um, all combined to create what is an unlevel or unequal platform in terms of access to care. And so what we do as a business is try and level that playing field, try and take care of those disparities one by one. They might be socioeconomic in their nature. They might be trying to get a center of excellence who has amazing neurologists to share those with an underserved community over a telemedicine platform. It's those types of things. And so within that bucket, that very large bucket of disparities that exist in this country and others, you first focused on the language barrier. So why, what about you, your history, your experience led to that particular choice? Well, one, I've always personally been very interested in languages. I took six years of Latin and three years of Mandarin Chinese, you know, six growing years? up. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a valid question. People aren't walking around really speaking Latin these days, right? But for me, it was the foundation of all language, right? And that was one of the things that interested me as a youth. But my partner, Andy Panos, had a family experience where he went to Mexico. And this was 20 years ago. Went to Mexico, 
family was in a car accident, Mm. couldn't speak the language, fundamentally had this incredibly stressful and traumatic experience in trying to manage care for his family and came back to the United States thinking like, if that happened to me with the diversity of the United States, it's got to be happening every day at, at hospitals and clinics across the US. So he's founded a company and I actually met him back in the 2007 timeframe. Mm-hmm. And through that process, we decided to lock arms and help build the business together. And you know, the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah. And it's remarkable how it was only 2007 and that's the time we met actually. Yeah, and you're right. launching this company and it, it seems like forever ago, but in fact, it was only a short time ago. And yeah. so we've come so, so far and you've been such a big part of that leadership in the digital health community around this technology. So you came at it until you formed this company and you said to focus on creating an opportunity for crossing this chasm, right? By providing language translation services virtually over the internet, basically. What was the technology you were using at that time? You didn't have Zoom. <laughs> Back then, it was very expensive carts, you know, Cisco-driven access points. And what we were doing at that point in time was actually pretty revolutionary because these carts used to have to actually be plugged into the wall and they were $30,000, $50,000 each, if not more. And not only did they have to be plugged in the wall for power, but they had to be plugged in the wall for Ethernet, right? In right. order to get things to work right because hospital Wi-Fi systems weren't exactly there at that point in time. But we actually hacked together a cart that took a, a mobile access point and put it on the cart, hacked it all together and wired it up. And then all of a sudden we had mobility that wasn't there before. Um, and those were the early carts. And over time, what you've seen is the cost of a cart come down dramatically. You've seen the uh, Wait, this cart would be wheeled into a room? Correct. Wheeled into a room. You'd use the remote control because there weren't buttons on the screen at that point in time. And you'd connect to a directory, which would then have the list of languages and you connect to the language that you need. And that um, was then a, a human on the other side of that providing human translation? Human on the other side of it, correct. Certified medical interpreter or someone who is on the path to certification within six months of working with us. So very high bar in terms of healthcare and medical interpretation. Okay. So that was the beginning. Yep. And then walk us quickly through what happened to where you are now. Well, yeah, form factors are totally different and the hospital environment is totally different. We actually, our go-to market now is the iPad Pro right? Mm-hmm. The device everybody knows how to use. I think one of the coolest things about digital health and the acceleration that we saw via COVID is now grandma knows how to use that iPad to access telemedicine. Um, so it's really increased access from that perspective. But the screen size is the appropriate size. The audio acoustics um, are appropriate. And so that's what we sell into market as a device. Now, the market has changed a lot where hospitals don't necessarily want proprietary platforms in their facility. They want, or proprietary, I should say, point solutions in their facility. They want platforms. And so we have moved to building an interoperability model into our tech stack so that we can be on platforms like CareAgility or OneView, which is the TV screen that's in the room, or Epic. And you know we've actually built integrations into Zoom as well. So right now in a world where people are bringing their own devices to the hospital and being on the hospital Wi-Fi network, we are interoperable across iOS, PC, or Android, and have created a lot of availability via like a web interface as well as native apps so that you can access our services. Got it. I don't know if I need to translate this, but what you're basically saying is that rather than having your own device that gets wheeled into the room with your name and logo on it that the hospital doesn't really want to own, plus the security issues they're concerned about, instead you're saying, tell you what, no worries. Whatever you've got in that room has got a screen on it. We can plug in the back end of that and you can just bring us up and we got our translators that can come into the room with your patient and help you have that discussion and that conversation 
in English translated. But what's new and cool about it is that you don't have to have buy our carts. We can just come in on the back of your technology. Yeah, we would prefer to leverage the technology that's already in place, and we simplify what you just said by saying, "Look, it's available anywhere, anytime." Any device. I mean, that's really the goal that we're we aspire to. Is to I think it was Bill Gates who said he wanted you know Microsoft on every desktop, right? Or Coca Cola who said a Coke always within reach. We're trying to do the same thing for digital health access. Awesome. So now we are in the room, and yep. there's a. So I will call in, and now I'm having a conversation with a patient. Now there are some legal questions that have to be around that. That conversation is it recorded? Is it transcribed? How do you guys? support that integration now that you can actually plug into, say, an Epic or a Cerner? Yeah, so typically we don't record the conversations. That functionality is absolutely there if people want to do it, but typically we don't record them. Think of it as almost like a clubhouse, right? You have your instance and then it's gone that moment in time. But if people wanted to record it, they absolutely could. We haven't done it because we haven't wanted to store all of that information for seven years due to HIPAA, et cetera. It just didn't seem like a real scalable part of the model from that perspective. So we don't store that data. Technically, there's medical legal risk associated with all of that. And so we've stayed away from it. But any client that wants to can absolutely do it and keep it on their server. So typically, we push that responsibility onto the client from that standpoint. Okay, I'm a hospital. And I am going to call you and say, listen to your podcast, your numerous podcasts. And I'm convinced I want to bring CloudBreak in and I want to do it over my EHR. What happens next and how complicated is that to make happen? You know, this is actually one of the most insightful kind of questions that you could ask because I think typically what happens, no, just because (laughs) it shows the understanding of the hospital environment, right? And typically what happens is everyone's like, oh, you just drop the technology off and it works. Well, not that simple, right? What we try and do as a business is really build consensus between clinical teams, the IT team, and administration, and have them all team up to create what is a really effective implementation plan. Because what we're doing is really, we're a culture change catalyst within the hospital. We're asking people to change the way that they normally did things, which might have been an in-person interpreter, it might have been over-the-phone interpretation, it might have been an agency interpreter, and say, this is a newer and better way to do this. There's a Venn diagram of cost, quality, and efficiency. This really sits at the center of that. It's instant access to a interpreter resource at the point of care, really helping to streamline things. So there's actually a big change management component that happens, and we've tried to make it as easy as possible. If you take a look at our platform, it's literally push a button, get the resource that you need. But we do that very collaboratively with hospital IT, the clinical team, and administration, because frequently what happens in hospital is clinical will say, hey, we need this, we signed up for it, can you guys implement it? And at that point, IT is saying, guys, we're implementing the latest version of Epic, it's going to take us six months, blank, blank, blank. I mean, hospital environments are very complex, and our goal is to help simplify that. And one of the ways that we do that is by bringing everybody up to speed at the same time and collaborating as a team to get the platform implemented. That said, you still have to get the platform implemented. So what does that look like? So it looks like getting logons for the hospital's existing systems and issuing mm-hmm. you, you know, IDs to each one of those so that we can track what happens on each device. In other words, what device is calling in? What department is it in in the hospital? And then we track what provider requested the interpretation, which patient it was, you know, those types of things so that we can, on the back end, provide what is very robust reporting so that when Joint Commission, who's an accreditation arm, right, comes in and says, hey, show us what you did for this patient, people can readily do that in real time. 
We go through and we do training and in-servicing throughout every single hospital department. And then after that, we have a team of people that we call partnership engagement managers, who we really view as almost the employee of the hospital that they serve, and they're badged as such. And they will walk and round on all the different hospital units, make sure the equipment's in good working order, train for nurse registry if that happens during you know the flu season when, when that type of stuff spikes, and actually listen to our clients so that we can build out new use cases. And one of the things that culminated in that was when we built out our telequarantine use case on the platform during COVID. So what you just underlined is the importance of understanding that technology requires a change in practice that is actually a culture change. It's more than just click this instead of click that, because if it's click this versus turn that, it's a completely different function that you're asking people to do and to interface with. What you also mentioned is that by integrating it the way you do, you actually can create a number of use of reports for the purchase of the product to see how it's been utilized and what services and what service lines, which interesting, I can see it being used like, hey, you're not using it enough. It's almost like we know you have 30% Hispanic population. Why are you only using it in 10% of your cases? And we know that it's not a great idea to bring family into the translations. And that's a very common thing that happens and something that we need to be cognizant that often it doesn't give us the, the translation. I speak a, a few languages. I don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese. And in our community, there's a lot of Cantonese. And I, it's amazing how I have no idea what they're saying. None. And <laughs> right. so it's very frustrating when I don't have access to interpreter because I don't know exactly what's being said. So that's important. And on the technology side of it, though, we talked about tech stacks, which means the the number of software applications that you have in your system is called tech stack, right? Yep. And knowing that each of those is integrated and therefore dependent, and you need to interface with all of them. So just like you said, it's not that easy. I presume, are you working through API gateways or how does that if I'm buying it and I have, I'm going to my IT people, are they going to come around and say, hey, no problem, take about two hours? Or is it going to be, nah, it's going to take a little bit because we've got to do this, 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 and we've got to test it and put an environment where we can check it, et cetera. Yeah, we're very- Give, give our audience a bit of an sure. idea of what that looks like. Because I mean, some people really think it's like downloading an app to their phone. It's not that simple. It's not that simple mm-hmm. because every hospital IT environment is different. And we need to make sure that we comply with all that hospital's policies, procedures, you know, and what their specific strategy is around their language services. There are some hospitals that say, we want our first line of defense to be our own interpreter team. And then we've actually come up with creative solutions where we've put their interpreter team onto our video platform so that they can Mm. answer calls first before rolling over to one of our interpreters, right? It's about how we integrate with their workflow and making that as simple as possible. Because as you said, when you're asking to change someone's workflow, that's culture change. So we do as much as we possibly can to integrate with the existing workflow of how clinicians practice and drive it forward that way. Jamie, I love that story you just told now, like the system says, no, we want our own people. You're like, instead of saying being binary, you're like, okay, where can we make these two things cross over? And the answer is, we'll bring your people onto our platform and they can use it and leverage it and all the tools that we have behind it that you didn't have before if they're integrated into our system, right? So that, that's a very, I love that story. Respect to ROI. Okay. Yes. Now, how this is an investment I am making as a clinic, as a healthcare system, it's a service that costs money. So where do I justify the ROI to the board, to the finance committee, to whatever? So that's again a good question. You know, I would actually tell you that hospital supply chain today is very focused on cost. We're always talking about all the costs in healthcare. But if I went to a hospital CFO and said, look, you can save 
$50,000 a year by working with another partner, but I can increase your revenue and your profit by $3 million a year by working with us and provide better care to boot, which would you rather do, right? Cost saving is a little bit of a downward spiral, whereas value creation, and by the way, healthcare is moving towards a value-based world. Value creation provides sustainable competitive advantage in market. And so when you take a look at hospitals, there are really three vectors. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here (laughs) as a doctor in a nationally leading institution, but there's efficiency, quality, and customer service, right? So what's efficiency? Efficiency is hospitals are basically like restaurants, but instead of turning tables, you're turning beds. The difference is you can't have a bad meal, right? The quality of that meal, the quality of that care has to be at a very high level. So what you want to do is make it a better experience given that. And so you take a look at how long are my wait times in the ER? How long does it take me to admit a patient once we've made the decision to admit? Once we've made the decision to discharge, how quickly does that happen? Are we giving specific instructions when a patient's leaving the hospital on a discharge standpoint in their language and to the right people? So we took a look at that and said, well, from an efficiency standpoint, if you have an interpreter who's readily accessible, instead of this patient languishing in the emergency department and not receiving care in a timely fashion and sitting there for six hours, you can now turn them around in two. And what you've done is you've created capacity in your ER to see more patients. You've reduced wait times. Then the same goes for every piece of that step function. But what happens when you're admitting a patient? Well, you can admit that patient faster if you have ready access to an interpreter at the point of care. What happens at discharge? You can do the same. So it creates a lot of efficiency. Quality-wise, getting an accurate patient history, making sure that your patient is compliant with their medication and that they are adhering to their plan of care takes great communication. And if you're not doing that in the right language, then you're going to have readmissions. You're going to have patients who are spinning out to other types of healthcare. You're going to have patients who, instead of taking a situation that could have been prevented, coming back with an acute care case when it could have been handled much more cheaply otherwise. So there are those types of things. It reduces defensive medicine costs. It decreases malpractice risk. We've been able to show how the platform does all those things. But most importantly, the final vector is customer service. How satisfactory was this encounter? And by the way, the customer isn't just the patient, it's the provider as well. Our whole mission Mm -hmm. to humanize healthcare is built around the concept that if we can make the work more meaningful for the doctor, they will take better care of their patient. Because we always work under the assumption that doctors got into this for the right reason. You don't go through this much training, that fellowship, because you don't really care about improving healthcare. You do it because you care. We always get jaded along the way with other things, but we want to restore that joy of calling and meeting back to the encounter. The format, efficacy, quality, customer service, and the value creation model as opposed to the revenue generation model is one that I love to hear because I think it's it's so much, I don't know, it's a better goal to strive for than revenue, particularly when you're in the healthcare system. Not to say revenue is anything wrong with revenue, it's just that it is a little more compelling. So where is the future taking remote video interpretation? Look, remote video interpretation and other digital health tools, I am a big believer that COVID helped create an inflection point in healthcare in this country and globally. And what we're seeing now is patients have really built up, you know, what I would call muscle memory, right? And providers too, with the fact that the new gold standard in medicine isn't the in-person visit. It used to be our whole health system is built around the in-person visit. But what we're seeing now is, wow, the gold standard for this visit might be an email. It might be a chat. 
It might be video. It might be audio. It might be a phone call. What we want is to create the opportunity early in the cycle through kind of a digital front door strategy to get the patient to that gold standard for whatever their chief complaint is. And that will end up in an in-person visit. And when it does, that in-person visit will be 10 times more meaningful because of all the digital tools that were used on the front end. So for me, I want telehealth just to be health. I want digital health just to be the new medicine. And where we talk about it in a way where it's not something that's cool and new and in vogue, we're like, oh, this is just how we practice these days. Yes. And what I'm hearing is, and I love it, is that we're moving away as so much in healthcare moves away from one size fits all medicine, the average rules, tyranny of the average is what I've referred to in the past because it's like not everyone's average to taking a broader perspective, like we're going to be able to deliver care along multiple modalities, including the in-person visit. You haven't said it does, that goes away. You said there's so much we can do that is not in person, that's just as effective, and in some cases more effective, that we can pepper in along the way that the patient can experience to build up to, if necessary, that in-person visit and make that a much more useful visit because you've collected data along the way, you've ensured that all the information is available at the point of care when they're actually seen so that not only can that visit be successful, but then the next follow-up visits can go back to being virtual, can go back to being telehealth. So it's a virtuous cycle that continues to build on itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you really think about it, right, what the future looks like as we're pushing more care out from the bricks and mortar to to the home or to the workplace or mobily, it's really an exciting world to think about when you're going to hit a button on the phone and get what you need. And even more exciting is collaboration that happens around that patient. So setting up what I would call a precision care team who can take care of that patient and their exact comorbidities. And that might be an orthopedist from UCSF, a dietitian from NYU, and a cardiologist from Cedars-Sinai, and be able to assemble these people all on one call because they're the highest value added people for this specific patient. That to me is where things get really exciting. Where it gets even more exciting is when I say synchronous. I can totally see that happening where the avatars come into play because then you can actually have a virtual version of yourself bringing that information and maybe answering questions. So tell me about, specifically in this language part, such cool stuff happening with natural language processing, voice recognition. We'll get to it elsewhere in these podcasts, but even empathy being built into the chatbots because they can judge mood. How does that play into the way you're thinking about growing your company and business models? Yeah, you know, really good question because everyone has seen the Skype demo where the two classrooms are talking to each other and Skype is translating for them. And I know that some physicians in the field will use Google Translate. A lot of studies have shown that, you know, and I can bring up multiple examples, Google Translate will translate labor and delivery like a package being delivered by a truck, right? So it doesn't have the medical context. And there are other examples of that. But for me, It's about beaming something that is as similar to a person into the room as you can because it brings so much more to the table in terms of the experience. Now, down the road, I am confident that we, because we have all of this call data on here are all the different populations in the United States, here's what ails them, but natural language processing and layering that over the calls, we can figure out why one interpreter translated congestive heart failure one way and another a different one. And in the long run, hope to create what is a virtual medical interpreter that can be just another modality. One of the things that we've seen in the interpretation space is none of the other modalities really went away. We still have in-person interpretation for certain instances. People are still using over the phone, even though video is available. And I think this new modality will just create more access. Like the pie continues to get bigger as you continue to add new tools to the toolkit. And as you were listening, as you were talking, I was listening, I was thinking to myself, gosh, I was the NLP side of it, the automated machine learning, artificial intelligence concept doesn't have have to be a replacement 
for the interpreter. It can be an assistant to the interpreter. I can Correct. see the assistant having a headphone on, which also make, hey, maybe this is a better translation for that, or helping the process, not replacing it. There's no question that, that some aspect of the human interaction is really never going to go away. I mean, I know that when I have the... Uh, the screen, the room, and the patient to see someone that looks like them and speaks like them. The interaction is going to be one of trust, which yep. doesn't happen when, you know, even when it's a voice over the telephone, I can't hear well, it's et cetera. It just is not a user experience that engenders trust. Whereas what you've built and what you've developed is has that element to it, which I don't think is easily accessible. Yeah, agreed. Through other platforms. What advice would you give someone who wants to implement a telehealth platform, which having listened to you speak, realized that I need to have a language capability around it. What would you tell them? I would say a few things. I think we saw this during COVID as well, where people made what I would call Mr. and Mrs. right now decisions. Mm. And a recent class report came out, and I'll leave the names out of it, that basically said that a lot of hospitals who made decisions during that stage were just trying to get a digital front door up or were just trying to implement a video platform. And they realized that now that that's not a good long-term solution for them because it doesn't have the right enterprise capabilities. It doesn't integrate language services. It doesn't do a lot of what they need to do. It remains a silo as opposed to being integrated into what we would call the clinical operating system of the hospital. So if I'm giving advice to someone, it's do your homework. Find a enterprise platform instead of a point solution. And whether you're a small medical group or a large one, these platforms tend to scale pretty well to cost. So you don't have to expect to necessarily pay that much more for the enterprise platform that you would invest in, but rather you'll get 10 times the ROI out of it because the linkages in the system provide a tremendous amount of value. And by that, I mean, we have 1,800 healthcare venues on our platform today doing over 100,000 encounters a month on over 14,000 video endpoints. And so I could link a local medical group into that platform so that a doctor could more easily hand off a patient to them, right? And do those types of things, linking together all of these disparate parts of our healthcare system into a care community, a digitally enabled care community. And that's really the goal of where things are heading for us. Love the vision. Let me just, just wanted to qualify something for, again, Digital Health 101. Yeah. Yeah. Enterprise versus point solution. How would you differentiate those two for the audience? A point solution would be a single use case type of platform. Someone coming up and being like, this is for telepsychiatry only. And does it interoperate with the rest of my hospital platforms? Maybe, but probably not, right? It's a single use type of solution. What a platform does is give you the ability to pull all of those solutions into a single device, a single experience, and allow collaboration to actually break down the silos that the technology in a point solution would create, right? It allows for all of that to happen. And so that's the difference between platform and point solution. The interoperability capabilities of the platform really define it. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much. I thought that was outstanding use of this time we had together. I think, I know, I'm going to come back to you again and again to sort of shed some light into some of these very complex areas of telehealth that are coming around. If people want to reach you, would you mind giving us some information? We can put it on our show notes or... No, absolutely. Um, you can follow me at, at Jamie Edwards on Twitter. I do engage with people there. If they DM me there, I will respond to them. Obviously, the same through LinkedIn. I'm on Jamie Edwards at, on LinkedIn as well. And the CloudBreak website is www.cloudbreak.us. And if anyone wants my email, I will gladly allow you guys to put that in the, the notes as well. Awesome. And it's Jamie, J-A-M-E-Y. Yes, sir. Thank you for the clarification on that. <laughs> Occasionally, I should have done it. Much. It's something I've been doing my whole life, right? But, uh, <laughs> sometimes forget. Awesome. Sir, pleasure to have you on the conference, on the call. I learned a ton myself and I really, really appreciate it. 
I'm so grateful for the time. I could speak about this stuff for like 12 hours. So uh, there's much more content behind this. And I look forward to future sessions with you. And by the way, thank you for doing what you're doing. It is deeply needed because healthcare is really complex and giving people an entry point where they can understand some of these more complex issues, I think is it's great work. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed our podcast, exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon on the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health today. So congrats again. So this merger is going to be a big deal for you guys. The merger is a big deal. We're bringing together a bunch of different companies from across the care continuum. And there's a certain sense of genius in it and that all of the places where we're focusing our time are non-competitive with local healthcare. Like our view of the world is that local healthcare wins the day. It's not about creating a national virtual medical group. It's about enabling you to have a relationship with your doctor via digital health tools. Thank you for that. Yeah. But the purpose of that whole thing was that... Local problems require local solutions in healthcare. There's so much you can do about it. And, and yeah. the thing about what you're talking about is, look, we're not going to force, because if you force this particular template on everybody, that means you're going to have the entire institution go through change management. Everybody, the entire place has to change everything they do to match this thing. That's Good right. luck with that. That's a massive ask. And whereas if you say, look, we're going to make it look very similar to what you're doing, a few additional things, for the most part, you can do what you're doing. Boy, I tell you, the adoption rate is going to be much, much higher. And the cost of adoption, because change management is what, 20, 30, 40? percent of the cost of the software that you're putting in place or should be you should set aside at least a third as much as what it costs you to buy this stuff to deploy it and nobody does that no and look we always say that technology should mold to the clinician not the other way around yeah. right like there's very specific ways that separate that very specific practice patterns that separate even one doctor from another and yeah. why should they all be forced into the same bucket yeah so I am starting a new society, medical society. It's going to call it's called the, the Personalized Orthoplasty Society. We embrace the fact that you don't have one solution for everybody. This idea of the right. average, the tyranny of the average. Get away from that. Our research protocols are all based on the average. Let's get into machine learning. Let's get into machine learning that buckets people into what they should get. And it's a 16 right, because not everybody's baseline is the same. Bingo. And what you're doing, the same thing. You're, you're in that same mind change. Like no, 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 no. Let's let's keep some variety here. Let's Let's make it match. Let's not have one size fits all anymore because we we got to get beyond that in healthcare across the board. And I think this is a no. I love what you're doing. That's what I'm getting at. I completely yeah, concur. No, I think all the all the directions are seem to be aligned to see you succeed. Then again, you beat the odds. <laughs> you're gonna continue <laughs> to beat the odds. Back God, in 2007, you know, from, your lips, from your lips to God's ears, we're just continuing to keep our heads down and work hard and you know hang out with great people because you can't have too many smart heads around the table while you're doing this. And so you know, like your comments around variants, like. I learn something every time I talk to someone, right? And it helps me inform what my decisions or strategy might be in the future. Yeah, awesome.